There's no more days off, Connor. We're not going to get these three, four-day respites for the Golden State Warriors. They're up 2-1. We're talking, we have new verbiage that we've never really tackled before. The code is a whole new nomenclature we got to become familiar with. The Warriors are back in action. It's game four, in my opinion, the most pivotal game of the entire season for the Golden State Warriors. We're going to break that down. Connor Letourneau joins me. This is Locked On Warriors. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Warriors your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. You can follow Connor Letourneau on Twitter at C O N underscore C H R O N, Con underscore Cron. You can follow me, Cyrus Sotsis, on Twitter at DogSurfRocho. Connor, you know, I, I feel like if you've played this game of basketball, you're, you're, you should be familiar with this quote-unquote the code, uh, an unwritten rule that, you know, most basketball players abide by. Uh, here's here's my definition, and then you can tell me if you agree with it or not, and I love your insights and your take on this whole drama surrounding the numerous injuries, the accusations of intention, of intent, I'm sorry. To me, the code is relatively simple. If you've played the game, it means you've played on the blacktop, you've played in public spaces, you play without referees and crowds. I've done both. But when you're on the blacktop, if you commit a foul or if you do something that starts a brawl, if it starts a fight, you've broken the code. What is your definition of the code? And give us your breakdown on just all this ridiculous drama surrounding the series. I mean, it's not complicated. Uh, Steve Kerr explained in, in, in pretty simple terms what the code is. And it just means not purposely trying to injure someone. Yes. That's all it means. It's really simple. Yeah. It is, yeah. So it's not 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 purposely trying to ruin someone's career and hurt them. Um, not you know clubbing a guy while he's midair going for a layup. It's not it's not comp- it's not rocket science, guys. Well, it, you're right, but for some reason it, it apparently is a, a topic of discussion. And I'm going to play the soundbite for you real quick. Uh, and and this is one huge part of Draymond Green being on inside the NBA in, NBA on T inside the NBA because my guess is him and Charles Barkley. Go- going to have this conversation when the next time he comes on but this was Barkley on last episode talking about all these incidents with the injuries the code and so forth here's chuck uh listen dylan brooke that was a flake the, the notion he tried to hurt that kid i'm not gonna live with that and now, now they're trying to come this is the cold man give me a break man y'all man I- <laughs> are you getting frustrated chuckster every call ernie i'm are you watching the basketball game Chuckster? let's see if it's a flagrant let's see if it's a flagrant one flag- i'm like yo man that, i've been kissed harder than that well, we don't know about your sex life I, we just talk about the fact that well, <laughs> Dylan, bro, hey, hey. You, tell you, make, you know what yeah. you said yeah. the two magic words yeah. sex life we'll be back <laughs> All right. So anyways, the humor at the end is always obviously what makes that show as amazing as it is. But there are people like Charles Barkley who are just brushing off the Dylan Brooks foul. I do take exception to that. That was a very hard foul. I mean, I I think that like I know that Charles Barkley is Charles Barkley and we love to laugh at him and we think he's kind of a little bit of a, you know, like he 
he's just a comedian almost. But yeah, uh, we don't we try not to take seriously what he says. But he I, that's actually the first time I've heard that, and uh, that's irresponsible. I mean, yes. that's just full on irresponsible. Like saying that you've been kissed harder than that. Like, yeah, Gary Payton the second is out probably the rest of the playoffs. He could have that could have ruined his career. Yes, and you're saying you've been kissed harder than that. Like. That's just so belittling and to uh, and dismissive of, of Gary Payton the second, a guy who worked his butt off to get to this point in his career is finally at the apex of his career. I mean that that happened a game after he entered the playoff starting lineup, you know, and yes. and uh, this should be his moment to shine, and here he is, you know, having to sit out the rest of the playoffs because of what was blatantly a dirty play. Um that's that's upsetting even hearing someone go on yes. national TV and say something like a, that. Like I know and I, I know we just kind of dismiss it because it's it's oh Charles Barkley, oh my gosh. It's like there should see there should be some level of accountability here. Like you're paid a lot of money to like offer your opinions on national television. Like there should be some level of decorum and accountability. And that's a little disturbing, honestly. It's it is disturbing. It, this is not surprising from Chuck, and, and I see two things from this. One is that Charles Barkley played in an era where, if you didn't like someone else, you clotheslined him. If you didn't like someone else, punches were thrown in two seconds. I can sort of understand his perspective, and on that end. But with that said, at the same time, you have in back-to-back games, you had two flagrant twos called. You had the foul on Gary Payne the second that ended his season that was blatantly dirty. Um, we can argue about the intent. I, I look, I'm not going to even make the argument that Dylan Brooks tried to take him out of the series, but I can guarantee you Dylan Brooks tried to send a message with that foul and he was reckless and clearly crossed a lot of lines. Then you have Draymond Green just a day earlier who touched someone in the face, um, who you can have an argument about his hand touching that Jersey, but he also caught him and prevented injury. And, and I would like to see and hear that there is a clear difference between what happened with Draymond Green in game one and what Dylan Brooks did in game two. I don't think Draymond Green broke the code in game one because going back to what I said, you're not starting a fight on the blacktop over what Draymond Green did. You're sure as hell starting a brawl with what Dylan Brooks did. And now we have uh, this this drama surrounding uh, John Morant. You have people actually come in. The reason why I played that Charles Barkley clip is because there are people all across this country who naively believe that there, that there was a, that there is an equivalency here. They actually believe that there are people out there that are actually accusing Jordan Poole, who you've interviewed personally on countless occasions, who I think we both can say is an incredibly nice and an incredibly professional human being, who is actually having his name dragged into the mud because he touched John Morant's knee for a second. Fortunately, uh, the NBA dismissed that ridiculous accusation from Taylor Jenkins. Let me ask you this, man. Do you have respect for Taylor Jenkins and the Grizzlies in terms of the fact that they refuse to acknowledge that what Dylan Brooks did that what Dylan Brooks did was dirty and that they're kind of perpetuating this narrative of an equivalency between the two plays? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's in terms of the Dylan Brooks thing, they're they're in a tough spot with that. I mean, it's it's always hard to publicly uh, lambast your own teammate. Uh, you know, even even if your teammate does a dirty play, like you still have to play with that person. They're going to be depending on Dylan Brooks going forward in this series. It's going to be really fascinating, by the way, to see how he's received a chase center tonight. 
Um, very fascinated. But, uh, very you know, there's, there's just going to be, like, that's just kind of a, a tenuous situation. I mean, so I don't necessarily criticize them for not calling that what it was, um, which was a dirty play. But okay. I do, in terms of um, the Jordan Poole thing, that whole situation was was odd, and it did feel like they were maybe a little bit irresponsible in terms of how they just rushed to judgment in a, yes. in a very public setting. I mean, if you're unless you're 100% sure that it was dirty, you should not even insinuate anything of that nature. Correct. I mean, Steve Kerr was completely in his right to call out Dylan Brooks for breaking the code because he was blatantly breaking the code. There was it was not clear at all what if 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 Jordan Poole had any sort of malintent with that play on Ja, um, if even if he did, there's no way you could glean that from from that from that video. And so for Taylor Jenkins to say that he's curious about his intent and that he thought he like purposely yanked him, yanked, yanked Jaw's knee, I think that's irresponsible. Um, I think you need I think you need to understand uh, the power of your words. You need to understand the platform. Taylor Jenkins is only what his third year as an NBA head coach. Maybe and he's in a small market. Maybe he's not doesn't fully understand like the gravitas that comes with with his position and this. And he's this only stage. been in small markets. He's only coached in small markets in yeah. his career. That is an interesting take. Can, sorry, continue. On. I mean, it's just it's just a it's just a thought. And uh, and then for for Jaw to come out and and tweet broke the code. I mean, you have to know what you're doing there. You have to know that you're inciting something. You're you're making this a way bigger deal. If Jaw hadn't posted that tweet, this would not be nearly as big a deal. That was true. That was throwing gasoline on a smoldering true. flame. I mean, he <laughs> just it just blew up, and uh, and then he went and deleted it. And you got to think if someone's deleting it that there's some level of regret in tweeting yes. it. And then the interesting thing is that after Jaw deleted it. When his teammates were asked about the incident, they kind of backed off, actually, and they did I not did. say that uh, that Jordan did anything wrong. You know, they basically said we don't know, which is what they should. The team should have been saying all along, uh, but they. It seems like there was. It took them a minute, but maybe they realized. You know what? We're going too hard on this, and we need to back off. Uh, but the mis- the initial mistake was made by Taylor Jenkins. I I doubt. John Morant may not have tweeted that had he not been empowered by his coach, you know? That's a possibility. And, and I want to add, t- Taylor Jenkins, it, it took, look, a day later uh, when he had his presser, you know, he had a whole day to think about this. He doubled down. He did say the next day, I do, he didn't say that it was intentional, but he did say Jordan Poole caused the injury and that the entire team believes that. I'm sorry, man, but if the, if you think the knee is that fragile, where grabbing it for a split second is going to cause a significant knee injury, you know, I I got a bridge to sell you, man, because that is one of the most ridiculous things I've I've heard in in recent history in sports. I mean, it was a it was a totally inadvertent attempt at going for the ball. You know, his his hand grabs the knee for a sec. It's such a split second play. There's so much action going on, and this is a professional athlete. I mean, I, I've seen like people mockingly showing clips of people grabbing other people's knees for a second, like shaking it to get their attention and so forth. Like, Oh no, he's causing an injury. It's just, it's, it's wild. Not especially when you consider there's a video clip from a a slightly earlier in the game where John Morant went for a block on clay Thompson 
Clay Thompson pump fakes, shifts to the left, and John Morant, uh, his leg or his knee makes contact with Clay Thompson. Side note, they did not call the foul on that when it was there was blatant contact there. Um, and 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 you saw Jaw limping after that. And it's it's pretty. I, I think it's kind of obvious that played a part in this as well. Regardless, we can talk about. There's so much more to talk about here. Uh, first, got to give love to BetOnline.net. Um, and the the lines are out obviously for tonight. Uh, BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports information. And I'm on BetOnline.net right now. The Warriors game two is to, I'm sorry, game four is tonight. Uh, the second game at Chase Center. The Warriors are favored by ten. The over the money line is minus five thirty, mine plus four twenty five for the Grizzlies, and the over under is two twenty three. Any thoughts on those lines? Ten is huge, brother. What do you think? I mean, my assumption is that you know that's factoring in the fact that John Morant probably won't play tonight. John Morant is listed as doubtful in my career covering the Warriors. I can almost never remember someone being listed as doubtful and actually playing the game. Uh, basically, right. if you're listed as doubtful, you're ruled out. Um, my my guess, this is just my guess, but my guess is that they know that he's not going to play tonight. And they're just mm-hmm. listing him as doubtful to just, you know, leave some level of intrigue and mystery to make it maybe a little bit more of a schematic challenge for the Warriors. But I'm sure the Warriors are game planning as if Ja will not play. Um, my guess is that the x-rays and MRIs revealed enough damage to probably rule him out for this series, at least for tonight, unequivocally. Um, and uh, and he will not play tonight. And without Ja, uh, Memphis has no chance. Um, not that, only That's tonight, interesting. No, they have no chance. Zero chance. All right. Well, uh, we'll, we'll touch on that in a second because um, I got some data to, to to discuss with you regarding the, the Grizzlies with Jaw and without. But regardless, find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including the basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball. Uh, we just had the Kentucky Derby. There's so much to bet on with Bet Online. And if you go to betonline.net, again, you got all the information there. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more, th- learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online. It's where the game starts. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Warriors your first listen every day. Make sure to go check out the Locked On NBA Big Board. Host Raphael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies an author of the NBA Big Board newsletter, is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Doolin, giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA draft, mock draft, player rankings, and, of course, the big boards. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. You can follow Connor Letourneau uh, on Twitter at C-O-N underscore C-H-R-O-N, Con underscore Cron. Uh, I want to uh, – uh, first of all, it is funny. I just did that that read right there that – most of the NBA is is focusing on the on the draft. <laughs> That's what their focus is. So if you go if you're if you're looking at other teams' coverage, it's not the playoffs. It's who are we going to draft in in the upcoming <laughs> lottery and so forth. But I have to share this stat with you because you just talked about John Morant. Uh, you you said that he's probably not going to play tonight. He's listed as doubtful. I always think of like Kevin uh, Kevin Garnett in the 2009 uh, playoffs uh, when he had this mystery knee, knee ailment. The Celtics just kept listing him as doubtful. They never specified what the injury was. He never played that season. 
and LeBron went to the NBA Finals as a result uh, in the process. Uh, I think, or was it the Magic? I, I think it was the Orlando Magic. I'm sorry, but anyway, so the the, the, the Grizzlies are not uh, unaccustomed to not having John Morant, and this stat right here is kind of interesting. I'm going to share this for the YouTube audience. Um, just so they can see it. And for everyone else, I'll obviously uh, articulate it if I can find this damn thing. Here we go. So the Grizzlies with and without John Morant this season, they did play 25 games without him. With John Morant, the Grizzlies were 36 and 21. Without him, they were 20 and 5, including going 20 and 2. And the three losses were at the end of the season when they kind of knew what their position was. They were resting players. This team went 20 and 2. Without John Morant this season, they scored more points without him. They gave up less points. And just to read it for the for the podcast listeners, with John Morant, the Grizzlies averaged 114.7 points per game. Without John Morant, they averaged 117.8. Sensibly, with John Morant, they gave up 112.5 points per game. Without him, there is an eight-point difference. They only gave up 104.2. The point is, at least from the regular season, uh, they did better. All the measurables indicate that. I hear what you're saying. That that I, I would still much prefer the Grizzlies without John Moran. I'm not saying I'm happy he's injured. That's the last thing I'm saying here. But from a game perspective, the Grizzlies during the regular season thrived without him. With that said, do you still think the Grizzlies have no chance? And what are your thoughts on those numbers I just threw at you? I still think the Grizzlies have no chance. Those are incredibly impressive numbers. They almost don't they boggle the mind a little bit. Like, yes. you know, I don't fully understand how that's possible. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, John Morant is a, an elite superstar in this league. I think he's going to be an MVP in this league. I think he's perennial all-star borderline generational talent. Um, I think that. Uh, oh no, I lost Connell or Turno. I'm going to let Connor figure that out for just a second. I'm going to talk about built bars, those yummy, delicious built bars. In fact, I sometimes check out the YouTube page and read the comments. It's a frightful adventure every time I do it. But um, I want to hear your feedback. I, I want to know how people think about the show, how I can improve on it, what your thoughts are. Um, and I forgot the user's name, but somebody in the comment section mentioned that they love eating their built Bars at night. And that's a great example of when you can consume a built Bar. And Connor, by the way, if you can hear me at any point, just jump in while I'm doing this because I, I want to know that we have you. But look, summer is coming. And with summer, you want to get that body looking good. You're going to the beach. You're going to the pool. You're going to the lake. You got to get that, 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 that bathing suit body going, folks. Build Bar is going to help you with that. And as that, that YouTube commenter mentioned, if you got the late night munchies, if you wake up and you're like, I'm hungry, I can't sleep without food, Build Bar is great for that. Again, on average, your Built Bar only has 130 calories. They only have four grams of sugar. That is one of the best parts because on average, your typical candy bar, in fact, almost anything that you consider yummy in this world likely has a lot of sugar in it. And sugar, folks, is bad for you. Built Bars only have four grams of sugar. And on top of that, they pack 17 grams of protein. So you feel full when you eat it. You don't keep craving more food typically after you eat a Built Bar. That's one of my favorite parts uh, about these yummy treats. And again, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That means with Built Bar, you can eat healthy and actually enjoy doing it. So all you got to do is go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCK15, and get 15% off your order. Again, use the promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built. 
Bet.com. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Warriors your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get wherever you get podcasts. One final segment here. I don't know what's going on with Connor. Uh, I think we might have lost him for the day. Um, just for people who are unfamiliar with the format of the show, I record it live. Even when I'm we're technically publishing a recorded episode like today, treat every episode like it is live. Well, Connor's going to keep trying to join me. I'm not, I'm not going to give up. Um, I want to throw out some Jonathan Kaminga love real quick. Uh, just to, In fact, actually, before I throw love to Jonathan Kaminga, I'm going to play the sound from Stephen Curry. This was after the game, and he was asked about John Morant's injury and this whole discussion around the code. Uh, and Steph wasn't having it. And I think what Steph's, Stephen Curry's answer, if the, the best way to describe it would be pragmatic. Here is Stephen Curry. It's unfortunate that that is a conversation right now because obviously nobody wants to see anybody get hurt. Um, but there's nothing malicious about what Jordan did. There's no comparison to what Dylan did or Draymond, like nothing in that vein. Um, so it's not a joking matter. Jaws hurt, but it, the, all the rest of it is just total BS in terms of the conversation right now. So um, I remember that term that came up with hot stove contact. That's what it felt like. Keep it moving. Here's what I do want to bring up real quick. This game for tonight is the biggest game of the season for the Golden State Warriors. The biggest hands down. Even though the Warriors have the edge right now, John Morant's likely not going to play. Uh, we don't know that for certain, but regardless, I just read you all the stats. I made the case on Larry Kruger's show. I brought that up because I actually see this Grizzlies team as more dangerous without John Moran. I do. Now, granted, the postseason is a whole different game than the regular season, and you could throw a lot of these stats away. Maybe you can call me a nervous Warriors fan because um, I do love this team, and I try to maintain objectivity on the show. But in a moment like this, yeah, I do consider Game 4 to be precarious um, simply because if they lose – they're still in trouble. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I view and tremendously respect this Grizzlies team for being, in my opinion, the most dangerous opposition to the Golden State Warriors. They match up with them incredibly well. They're incredibly athletic. They're long. They have a lot of offensive weapons. Um, despite my criticism of Taylor Jenkins, they are well coached. Uh, even without John Morant, they have a lot of weapons. Jaron Jackson Jr. is is a great defensive big. Uh, who has shown he could hit three-pointers at times and could be a dangerous threat from there. He was six six for nine from three in game one. Um, so they still concern me. Um, they're rebounding numbers in the regular season. And to me, that is one of the most staggering and fascinating aspects of uh, this series has been that the Warriors have been out-rebounding them. It is utterly absurd. In game three, when you look at the rebounding numbers, the Warriors out-rebounded them uh, by a total of 38 to 29. The only advantage the Grizzlies had was in offensive rebounds. They had seven offensive rebounds to four for the Golden State Warriors. But Draymond Green says something interesting. And I think we have to give up on Connor Letourneau today. And that's that's a bummer. But we got a lot out of him. And I'm happy for that. Uh, Draymond Green said something interesting. He was asked what was different in game three. And he said it was actually very simple. He said it was turnovers. And if you remember game three, the first half was close. The Warriors were actually 
experiencing deficits early in the game. I believe they were down by 10 plus at one point, maybe down by 13, I believe. They had a very slow start. But in the second half, I believe they had a grand total of three turn turnovers in the entire second half versus 14 in the first. And when the turnovers got cut down, the Warriors just started running and they never looked back. Again, they won this game by 30 points. The 142 points the Warriors scored was the most in this dynasty era in franchise history in the postseason. 142 points. I believe the last time they reached that mark was like the 60s. Don't quote me on that in terms of the, the last time they, they sur surpassed that number. But the fact that you had the greatest five-year run in NBA history and that 142-point total was the most they ever did during this entire dynasty in the postseason is staggering. And a large part of that was the second half, not, not turning the ball over. Their offense was efficient. They were playing smart ball. You know, I mean, Stephen Curry had a Stephen Curry night, 30 points. He was 14 for 14 from the line. So much for those free throw concerns. <laughs> those are behind us. Interestingly enough, Stephen Curry had the worst night uh, of the team in terms of three-point shooting. The only player that was worse was Damian Lee, who was 0 for 1. Stephen Curry went two for eight from three. In perspective, Clay went four for six. Kaminga, two for four. Wiggins was a perfect two for two. Great things are always happening when, when Andrew Wiggins is shooting great from three. Always. Um, Jordan Poole, three for five. Otto Porter Jr. finally found his three-point stroke, three for five. So... Bravo, gentlemen. That second half was remarkable. And with that said, this game four still scares me because I view the Grizzlies as being an incredibly dangerous team. I'm not ready to look ahead to a potential Suns matchup or Mavericks. Who knows what's going on uh, in that series? I'm certainly not looking ahead to the NBA Finals where who knows what team is coming out of the East. But, I mean, really, who knows? I mean, that that Heat Sixer series is tied up now. Uh, Bucks-Celtics, I think, well, Bucks are leading 2-1. But all the Celtics need is one win to, to even up that series and regain home court advantage. It is interesting how the Bucks and the Warriors are very paralleled uh, in this postseason at this point. Um, but, you know, win game four, and I'm going to breathe a huge sigh of relief. That is what I'm trying to say. The Grizzlies do concern me that much. Um, and again, tip off is going to be tonight at chase center. I'm very curious to see how the chase center crowd reacts to Dylan Brooks coming back. Um, if there is a positive to that game three suspension, besides, I mean, look, it's, it's that whole incident was ugly, but, um, I was personally clamoring for more than just a one game suspension, but, uh, if there's a positive to just a one game suspension happening, it's that he's coming back in a setting where ordinarily, if there was any concern about tonight, if John Moran, in fact, does not play, if there's any concern, it was going to be a letdown. It was going to be a Warriors team that brought their guard down. Normally not a concern for a team with this level of championship pedigree, but you never know. I, I refuse to dismiss human nature in all of these scenarios and all of these discussions. And we could have, you could, we could have easily been looking at a chase center crowd that was had an attitude similar to Connor's just a moment ago, where Connor said he has he's he sounded incredibly confident in the Warriors' chances tonight without John Morant. I I do not share that optimism. 
We have no idea what Jaws injury specifically is. Therefore, we're, we're not going to have any idea how long he's going to be out for, um, you know, the severity of the injury. So let's say the Warriors in this horrible scenario lose tonight. Then you have Memphis regaining home court. And who knows if Jaw could come back right away? He might. We don't know what the extent of the knee injury is. And I that is one of the many reasons why this game tonight, this game four, is, in my opinion, the biggest game of the season, bar none. There's no other game that comes close to this. This is this game right here is the biggest game of the year. Here is my proclamation. They win tonight. They're winning the world championship. I've already been saying they're going to, but if they win tonight, if they take a 3-1 series lead and can go into Memphis with the hopes that they're going to take the series, and if Jaws out for game five, I really think they can go back into Memphis and close it out. Um, they've won the championship. This Grizzlies team, in my opinion, was the biggest test for the Golden State Warriors in the postseason. And if they can come out of this uns relatively unscathed, they lost Gary Payne the second for the year, so you can't say they're they're going to come out of this unscathed. But if they don't suffer any more losses, they're going to win the championship. I really do. I really do believe that. There's some compelling arguments being made that, you know, Chris Paul has more incentive and more motivation since he's never won a championship. Well, sorry, but I actually think Stephen Curry has more incentive to get that one remaining accolade that is missing from his resume that still casts doubt in a lot of people's minds in terms of his all-time greatness, in terms of his legacy. And that is that finals MVP award. That's the one thing eluding him. And Stephen Curry is greatness, folks. He's one of the all-time greatest players in the history of this game. And I'm calling it right here. If they win tonight, he's going to go down to the annals as one of the top 10 all-time greats. He's going to win that fourth championship. He's likely going to win his fourth MB his first NBA Finals MVP. And that doubt that still lingers in a lot of people's minds about Stephen Curry's greatness in terms of his legacy will be washed. I want to show Jonathan Kaminga love real quick, simply because, um, and I want to share this tweet that I saw, and I've had some people uh, uh, messaging me and and posting comments about Kaminga, and we got to show him some love. Look, you, uh, deservedly so. Jonathan Kaminga, by starting game three, was the youngest player to start a playoff game since the NBA began tracking starters in 1970, 1971. The only player to score at least 15 points in a playoff game at a younger age was Kobe Bryant. That is who he's being compared to, folks. Now, Kaminga had a so-so outing as the starter. All right? It was a wash. Um, I don't know if he was an effective uh, defender on John Morant. I do think Andrew Wiggins was. I, I think Wiggins has embraced that matchup and has done a marvelous job. His length has caused significant issues to John Morant. Kaminga, uh, look, on the stat sheet, he did remarkable. But you got to keep in mind, too, some of those numbers came in garbage time. He finished that game in 17 minutes of play, 8 for 10 from the field. He was 2 for 4 from 3. Um, finished the game with 18 points. Uh, and again, the rebounding numbers is where I think Kaminga needs to focus his game on a little more. He finished with just two rebounds. He's a player that could become a seven to eight rebound a game type player, maybe even a little more. Uh, but he did finish with 18 points, but his plus minus was minus two. He was one of only two players 
to be in the negative and plus minus. The only other player being Juan Toscano Anderson. And that's representative of the Warriors' early struggles. Given they were down a lot of that first quarter, they they finished the first quarter being down at 28-26. But they were they were in a huge deficit to start the game. I think the, the Grizzlies had like a, again, don't quote me on this number, but I, if I remember correctly, the Grizzlies were leading by 13 points. And Kaminga just is not at a point where he can defend a player like John Morant. I, I just don't think he can. Um, and it's a foot speed issue and it's a footwork issue. Um, I, I'm not saying that Kaminga doesn't have the foot speed to eventually defend a player like John Morant, but I don't think his footwork is there yet. There's so much nuance to the game of, of NBA basketball that to be a great player in it, you have to master all of it. That includes little aspects like footwork, like knowing where to move your feet, when to move your feet, where to be in proper positioning, where to sidestep, when to backstep. Um, and Kaminga has not mastered that part of the game yet, and that's okay. But when you're holding Brandon Clark, a player that I feel like is the the most dangerous variable on that Grizzlies team, besides John Moran, and maybe maybe Desmond Bain as well. Um, Brandon Clark was held to four points, only had two rebounds. That's staggering. I, I'm blown away by the rebounding edge that the Warriors have had this series. And it goes to what Kerr has been preaching. Defense on a string. And that also includes rebounding on a string. Boxing out your man. Out-hustling them. Getting proper positioning. And the Warriors have been winning that battle. The game three was the first time they didn't win the offensive rebounding battle. I think they tied one of the games. But I don't remember the Warriors losing the offensive rebounding battle until game three. But the overall rebounding edge went to the Warriors by nine. 38-29 was the total rebounding edge. Incredible. And Jonathan Kaminga, arguably the youngest starter to in the history of the NBA. Certainly, at least since records were being kept. That's that's absolutely remarkable. And I can't imagine anyone being younger dating back because most players played four years in college. So, um, and I want to end on this note. Uh, Connor and I, Connor Laterno and I wanted to touch on this, but we lost his connection for the morning. Um, he, he wrote a piece about Mike Brown this morning uh, for the San Francisco Chronicle. That is who he writes for, and he produces tremendous content there. Kudos, brother. Uh it sucks. Mike Brown is leaving. And I, what Connor was going to emphasize is that Mike Brown was quite possibly the hardest working coach on that staff. He put in so much time game planning, coaching individually, uh, providing schematics, and his loss will be felt. Uh, the Sacramento Kings got a great coach in Mike Brown. Um, I was under the impression that Mike Brown had options. Uh, Connell Letourneau was, was potentially going to touch on this, but apparently Mike Brown um, did not have as many options out there as in, he, in my opinion, deserved. So, uh, and he wanted to coach again, clearly, and the Sacramento Kings wanted him. Um, I just wish he would have found a better home than Sacramento. I mean, just because, again, that ownership group, uh, or that owner leaves a lot to be desired, but... Regardless, congratulations to Mike Brown. He's going to stay with the team for the remainder of the postseason. Uh, would not surprise me if Luke Walton rejoined the coaching staff. Um, so kudos to Mike Brown. Congratulations. Uh, and please do check out the San Francisco Chronicle uh, because, uh, again, Connell Turner wrote a great piece on that, and he's a fantastic writer. And I'm sorry we lost him early today. That was an unfortunate incident. 
That is what happens with modern technology. But again, game four is tonight. The biggest game of the year, in my opinion. And if the Warriors win this, uh, I'm feeling good. That's all I can say about that. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for making Locked On Warriors your first listen every day. Now make your second listen Locked On NBA. From the first jump ball of the play-in tournament to the last possession of the finals, Locked On experts take you deep inside the playoffs with insight and analysis affecting all 30 teams. You can follow me, Cyrus Sotsas, on Twitter at DogSurfRoadShow. You can follow this program on Twitter at Locked On Dubs. We'll be back tomorrow, and let's hope I'm coming back to you with the Warriors having a 3-1 series lead. Let's hope, Dub Nation. Thank you, everyone. Later.